from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. It's the conversation in which we explore everything related to, well, work and the rest of your life, your family, community, our society, and your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I founded the Wharton Work-Life Integration Project, the Wharton Leadership Program, and now run a management training and consulting company called Total Leadership, which you can find out more about at totalleadership.org. We help people and organizations find harmony and improve performance in all the different parts of their lives. You can find free book chapters, articles, videos, assessment tools, all kinds of stuff at totalleadership.org. New episodes of this show premiere Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern time here on Sirius XM channel 132. And you can find free podcast versions a little after that uh, at totalleadership.org. You can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business, as well as me. I'm at Stu Friedman. I am so glad to let you know that today this show is the first of our eighth, count them, eighth year on the air. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to speak with you and to speak with my incredible guests week in, week out. Uh, And as we begin this new year, we are continuing a conversation that we've been having on this program uh, really since it began, but more intensively over this, this past year. And that is about how diverse and inclusive workplaces are not only important in the private sector to a company's bottom line, but to the, the health and well-being of employees and our society. My guest today has decades of experience in starting, championing, uh, and really cultivating uh, systematic methods to support diverse and inclusive workplaces. And he's got a lot more to say about uh, his career in HR. Uh, I am so happy to be introducing you to Jay Moldenhauer Salazar. Jay is the Chief People Officer for Minted.com. Jay, welcome to Work and Life. Well, thanks, Stu. And what a nice introduction. I feel very honored to be starting the new year off with you. Well, it's it's wonderful to have you here. Let me just say a couple of words more about your background so listeners can know who who it is I'm speaking with today. Jay oversees and manages Minted's people team, which includes human resources and facilities. After several years running a research lab in Silicon Valley, he went on to lead HR in multiple industries and at various scales from hypergrowth startup to global Fortune 500. Prior to working in the private sector, he received his PhD in organizational psychology from the University of Michigan, which is where I received my PhD oh, a few years you, before. That just makes you good people. 14 years. So this is the Go Blue PhD in Organizational (laughs) Psychology Club. We're going to be talking a lot about that. Uh, But he did his dissertation on on change, organizational change around diversity. And we're going to be talking a bit about that and how that has propelled him forward in his career. He also lets me know that he considers himself a closet creative and maintains a weekly writer's group and a dusty art portfolio. And there's more. There's much more about Jay, um, which I'm now going to tell you before we begin our conversation in earnest. Um, you know, we, we both graduated from the org psych program, uh, you well after me, and then you, your career has really been incredible as a leader uh, from Sun Microsystems, Taco Bell, BlackRock, Gap and Old Navy, Starbucks, Riot Games, and now at Minted.com, where you're chief people officer. But before we get into what you've learned along the way in your career, especially what you've gleaned about how to make diversity and inclusion a real and positive force for change in the private sector, we have to talk about your rock star status (laughs) as an MTG or Magic the Gathering guru, which is how I got to know you. Let me just tell listeners uh, they haven't heard this story. Uh, my my middle child, Harry, uh, was and still is really into Magic the Gathering. If you don't know what that is, folks, just look it up. It's a uh, it's a game uh, that is played both online, but also with these remarkable cards. 
Uh, Harry, well, he was a teenager. This is back in the early 2000s. We used to talk about, you know, what he was into and what he was about. And he one day was telling me about one of the people that he reads, you know, to learn about the game of Magic the Gathering, Jay Moldenhauer Salazar. And he's really like following this guy, Jay, like as a devotee. So we looked him up and I looked and saw, hey, look at this. Jay went to the same PhD program as me, uh, you know, 14 years later. I bet I bet he'll he'll take the moment to take my call and we can get together and, and chat. Well, not only did Jay take the time to talk with me and Harry, he actually invited me and Harry to visit him when he was living in uh, Southern California. I think in La Jolla, maybe? No, uh, somewhere it was Dana Point. It was Dana Point. Yeah. Dana Point. Yeah. So Harry and I took a trip to the West Coast. We had some other things to do while we were out there. But Jay hosted us for an afternoon, including a couple of matches of Magic the Gathering that Jay and Harry played, which I videotaped, by the way, not saying if I'm going to be releasing that videotape, Jay, but please, please it happened no. and it was it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And I and Harry are really grateful to you for that, Jay. How has your experience with Magic the Gathering influenced your work and your life? <laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, so. Uh, I think what you basically just said is I'm a total nerd, which is <laughs> I didn't say that. Uh, but okay. I, I um, grew up playing tabletop games, board games, Dungeons and Dragons, all of that stuff. And I found Magic the Gathering in its second year of existence while mm -hmm. I was a graduate student at University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. And I fell into a group that played competitively. They were on the fledgling pro tour of Magic. Wow. So I just fell in playing at a very high level, uh, got pretty well known for playing and then ended up writing a bunch of strategy articles and got pretty well known for that. And then when they launched no, their worldwide fame, folks, <clears throat> Jay's yeah, being well, modest. He, he is one of the great thinkers of this magnificent game. Please continue, Jay. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I, big fish, small pond, I think is, is uh, what uh, I say. There. Okay. But continue. Uh, uh, so yes, I, but I do have a wiki page, which made me crack up when I saw that somebody had created a wiki page for my, uh, my magic career. I, um, so yeah, I, I wrote for magicthegathering.com when uh, Hasbro, who owns Wizards of the Coast that makes the game, uh, mm -hmm. when they launched their official website in 2001, I started writing a weekly column for them. And uh, that is where your son found me. I was, mm -hmm. uh, I was writing, I wrote several weekly columns over about a five year span for, uh, wizards and, um, and that game and ended up getting to know the game designers really well. Uh, when I'm up in Seattle, I, I drop them a line and see their uh, research and development team, the people who make the games, they asked me to be a freelance con, uh, a sort of contract game designer. So I ended up naming uh, and writing the little quotes and flavor text on the cards of like about 400 or so cards. Um, I wrote fiction for them. I published fiction for them. Uh, I, I, and, oh, here, you. this is an audio only, but you on video will see, I have a Magic the Gathering tattoo that circles my forearm. Unbelievable. Uh, because it is such a large part of my nerd identity. I... I don't play as much these days. Um, work pretty quickly crowded out my magic uh, time, especially as I got into more HR leadership roles. But I still, you know, it's funny. I, I still do have this weekly writers group, which I, where I write fiction, which is mostly fantasy based, you know, themed. And and I, um, I'm in a, uh, it's not Dungeons and Dragons, but it's a, a sister to Dungeons and Dragons, a game called Pathfinder. And I'm in a weekly online game with with folks playing Pathfinder. So. I still feel like I have a, a pretty strong nerd cred, even though um, magic has faded a little bit more into the background. Well, so how does how has this uh, this passion and real skill and creative um, output influenced your career as an HR leader? Well, a couple of ways I'd say. One is it's amazing to me, especially as I've gotten into startup land with a very young uh, sort of uh, employee population, 
how much people immediately connect with me and think I'm cool because they, you know, they, um, they find out something about my, my nerd street cred and they immediately, the, just countless stories of folks like your son who just come up and say, Hey, I read your articles or, Hey, I, um, Mm -hmm. uh, you really, I love what you did with this particular deck or, you know, whatever. And so uh, I have an immediate point of credibility with people who are uh, generationally kind of in a different place from me, which is nice. Um, But Mm -hmm. mostly, you know, I I think there is something, there are ways in which human resources in particular as a field uh, can get seen as very administrative transactional sort of risk, risk based kind of stuff. And I, I actually think, um, having such a strong connection into what is a vibrant and creative landscape of games and card games and fantasy and all of that stuff has helped keep some perspective for me that actually there's a very vibrant creative um, part of HR and that, uh, you know, the, the, the HR is at its best when it's about employee engagement and how to keep morale up and mm-hmm. how to think about um, sparking people's careers, you know, and all of that stuff. And, uh, you know, the, the risk and administrative part of it is, is important and, and very important uh, in, especially these days. Uh, but, but I, um, I don't know, I think it's made me a more creative HR leader and, and again, kept me uh, hopefully, if not my body, my body continues to not be so tell me that I'm not so young, but it keeps my, at least a young spirit in, in my work. And that must uh, that must affect the people around you at work. Um, and, and so, in your job interviews for people that you hire, do you require them to study your your magic history? <laughs> they can challenge you to a game, or is that not a part of the standard? That process? is not uh, that is not a formal part of my interview process. But I will say the the when Riot Games hired me as their head of HR. Uh, the founders were very clear about only hiring hardcore gamers. And um, mm-hmm. uh, the founders did took me on a bit of a roadshow to say, look, this guy was the co-head of HR at Starbucks. And the reason we hired him is because he really understands kind of what we do. He understands kind of our, our audience and population really deeply, um, which is the first time that really my secret identity gaming life and my public identity hr life collided and that was a fun that was a fun experience yeah i could see how it'd be a great asset uh at that firm let me remind listeners this is work and life on business radio sirius xm channel 132 i'm your host Stu friedman and my guest today is jay moldenhauer salazar he's the chief people officer for minted.com so Give us a brief recap of what your dissertation research was about. And I'm asking not, you know, for historical purposes, but because I am sure that it has informed and continues to inform the work you do today. Yeah, it was pretty theoretical, esoteric dissertation topic, but the, at a high level, it was um, taking multiple theories of organizational change and taking a case study of an organization that had uh, transformed its fundamental mission to embrace multiculturalism and diversity at the time. So I was taking something that was a fairly controversial at the time, again, this was in the 90s, sort of a controversial way to, to establish your founding mission and, uh, and transform it to embrace diversity and to say, all right, which of these change theories um, best describe what happened to this, you know, to this company? How much of this is predictable based on predictable models of change and how much of this is unpredictable kind of chaos theory stuff of you take something, an emotional topic like diversity and, uh, and it's harder to predict. And, you know, the, of course the answer is both. There are some very predictable parts to the change, some, some very um, predictable stages that organizational change go through. And then there are some very uh, bespoke uh, organization specific reasons why some things happen and, uh, and are unexplained by kind of theoretical framework. So that was the, it was, it was very qualitative. Uh, it was, which is funny because I was a real quant jock at the time. I, I went on when I went to Sun Microsystems. Quant jock, for those who might not be familiar with that term means someone who likes to play with numbers. That's right. I, I used to proudly be able to do multivariate statistics uh, by hand, you know, like uh, I was very, uh, I had 
was very proud of my statistics knowledge and went on to run a research lab at Sun Microsystems as one of my first gigs. But my dissertation was entirely qualitative. It was all interviews. Uh-huh. It was a deep case study of this organization. Um, and I, you know, it was, it was wonderful. It took me, oh gosh, almost a decade and a half to finally get rid of all of the transcripts of my interviews because I just, I moved with them everywhere, these boxes and boxes of I understand of the problem. Now, <laughs> what did you learn from that study that you, that continues to influence how you think about the work that you do these days? Uh, you know, I, uh, let's see on my best days. Uh, I think, I think the principles that undergird uh, why people think having a diverse workplace, why they think having a, um, a mission focused on inclusivity are still very much at play. Like I, I, I the business case for diversity, equity, and inclusion hasn't changed much since mm-hmm. I was in grad school. And I, a lot of the reading I did is still relevant today. You know, I, one of the, uh, one of the things that got me into grad school back when I was in college was reading men and women of the corporation by Rosabeth Moss Cantor, which is about institutional sexism and was published in the seventies. Sure. And I, and I, again, I, I just think there was a lot of, um, a lot of that, uh, writing and thinking is still very much relevant today. On my more pessimistic days, I get frustrated with how relevant it is and how much it feels like we are still stuck in a mire of having to make justification for why diversity, equity, and inclusion and how those things are different from one another um, uh, matters in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And I actually think it was one of the, you know, amongst a very notable year of really, really fundamental um, uh, realizations and shifts in this country. I think the Black Lives Matter um, movement and the kind of consciousness that I felt like was raised at a more macro level um, and the conversations that were happening felt like the first time since that dissertation where we were actually talking about these things in a more nuanced and elevated way than, than what I felt like I had been doing for, for decades in my career. Yeah, last year was a, a real reckoning in our nation. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder how that has affected uh, what you're doing at Minted. Uh, well, 2020 was a, a big year for, in two ways. One, I'll, I'll, I'll take the diversity thread more fully and then I'll, I'll switch over to the pandemic. But okay. the, um, uh, we have a, a CEO and founder, Miriam Nafisi, whose real central identity is around being a, a female immigrant CEO. Uh, that she, she, if you look up any interviews with her, that is very much about how her own identity as a CEO and founder of a company is is rooted. It was one of the things that drew me to Minted away from video games, which was so much fun for me. Um, was I, I really I really connected with Miriam and. I liked her vision for, for the company. Um, so mm-hmm. what was going on in the country hit her at a very, very deep level. And um, she immediately wanted to make a bunch of external and internal commitments around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, so, you know, we, as, as recently as mid-December of 2020, we put out a, um, uh, a number of public commitments about investments we're making in black artist communities. Um, if for those who don't know, Minted is a stationary company really focused on, it's an e-commerce business, but it's focused on art and um, greeting cards and wedding announcements and things that are very design oriented and sort of mm-hmm. design first. And it's based on a crowdsourced model that is um, at, at its core meant to be meritocratic. Uh, Miriam believes in blind uh, voting for the best designs that exist, no matter where those designs may come from. And that's at the foundation of how she built this business. And it is, um, you know, I think it was a last year was a time to elevate those values and to really double down on, we want to eliminate bias in our voting process so that our designs really are the best designs that are voted on by our customers as what they most want to, to buy. And we want to translate that internally to make sure our hiring processes, our promotion processes, our um, our career development is as bias free as as possible. And um, you know, Minted is still a small company; we're uh, uh, a few hundred people. 
uh, and we didn't have things that some of the larger organizations that I have been at uh, like employee resource, sort of really robust employee resource groups and that sort of things. But sure enough, we kicked off employee resource groups in 2020. It was a time to organize and it was a time to listen to the populations of our employees that are really, um, that were hurting the most mm-hmm, during that mm-hmm. time. And so, uh, uh, you know, so that was from a, from a diversity and inclusion standpoint, that was a real lurch forward, I think, for, um, for Minted, but, but really evolutionary in terms of, of building on core values that Miriam held very, very dear. So, so that was one thing, but then, you know, the, the flip side of that is the pandemic was crushing uh, a huge part of Minted's business is tied to wedding invitations and people just weren't getting oh. married in the midst of a pandemic. And right. so uh, we did our first ever company layoffs in April, uh, and it was, look, I was in Silicon, I have the really unfortunate uh, uh, truth of being in Silicon Valley during the dot-com bubble bursting and being in financial services during the 2008, 2009 economic collapse. So don't take career advice from me, I think is the uh, footnote there. <laughs> I but- think we're going to wrap this show up here. Was maybe a little early panic. <laughs> Just kidding. You're uh, making but, fun of yourself. That's why I'm building on that. Yeah, but, yeah. Oh, no, that, that was just some bad luck. Yeah, some bad luck, but also amazing to be on the front lines of watching how organizations react to these massive yeah. industry shifts. But I will tell you, nothing was as painful as the layoffs we did in, in April at Minted. We, well, tell us we, about that. We ended up, um, you know, we had just moved everyone, like a lot, like every Bay Area company, we'd moved everyone to work from home who could do that. Uh, so, and we were one of the first companies that had done that. So in early March, uh, we moved everyone to work from home and suddenly we were facing a almost 40% layoff of our employees virtually, you know, like, and I, it was a, a challenge, like I had never had to face. How do you let people go with dignity and respect who have done nothing wrong? You know, this was not a performance purge. This was really an economic, uh, reality, and um, it's a company that is very mission-based, very values-based. So, you know, Minted attracts very smart, nice, uh, design-oriented, artistic people. And to have to uh, say goodbye to that many people uh, over a video screen was, was really, really difficult. And we talked endlessly, Miriam and I and the management team, about how we were going to do this in a way yeah. that felt like it was resonant with our values. And we ended up... Um, uh, having one-on-one conversations with every single person who was affected, uh, which was made for an exhausting day. Uh, we did it all in a uh, 12-hour period, had you know, uh, over 100, almost 150 one-on-one conversations with every single person uh, who, wow. yeah, it was, it was, it was, <laughs> it was tough. And, you know, not to, not to uh, get too um, self-focused here, but I, I would just take breaks and just burst into tears. You know, I would just go downstairs um, from my video screen, have to turn off the screen and just, and just cry. Uh, what so. was it that you were crying about? It just, these are, it was just wonderful people. And I was, and I knew I had this kind of uh, deep seated belief that we were sending people out into the worst job market of my lifetime. Uh, and, you know, they didn't deserve it. You know, like it, it was, you, you, <laughs> we used to laugh that weddings was a great business to be in because people always get married, you know, like, and well, uh, you know, turns out not so much. So um, hmm. it just, it felt very sad. It was a very, very sad time. Mm-hmm. The postscript is pretty okay. We, we, it, we have a much more diverse and robust revenue stream than we, uh, or set of revenue streams than I think we banked on at the time. And we have recovered remarkably well, because it turns out yeah. That you're sitting at home alone in your home office. You want art on the walls and you want to do home decor and you want to connect with people through cards. And so uh, our business has recovered much faster, I think, than we feared it would. Um, hmm. And we still have the wedding business, you know, hopefully that comes back this year once vaccines get widely distributed. But mm-hmm. it was it was rough. So those are the two tales. Like, I, I think there was a real movement forward on the diversity and equity and inclusion side. And then there was a real step back in just the face of the pandemic and what it meant for Minted's business. Well, and so how has it changed who you are as a company? Well, uh, I, well, like a lot of companies, especially tech companies in the Bay Area, I think we're having a fundamental identity crisis about what is our work from home versus remote versus 
physical space footprint look like when this is all done? Mm-hmm. Uh, Minted as a design and uh, design company, Miriam's philosophy has been face-to-face matters more than anything. And so we have, mm-hmm. you know, we had an entire decision-making processes and everything based on co-located um, mm-hmm. uh, stuff. So th- there's a lot of shifts that's, that need to happen there. And then I, uh, I think we are embracing part of our values. The fact that we are a two thirds women um, company in tech, the fact that we have, um, uh, I think we are uh, less than half white uh, as a company. I I think there are some demographic things that really are terrific for Minted and something that we maybe took for granted before 2020 that we will be probably doing more uh, cultivating, uh, in, in future years and that we will spend more time thinking about our employment value proposition and our brand positioning. We'll probably embrace those things more than they, more than they have. Jay, I want to pick up on that after we take a very short break here. Uh, please don't go away. When we come back, I'm going to continue my conversation with Jay Moldenhauer Salazar, who is the chief people officer for Minted, Com. I'm Stu Friedman. This is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome back to Work and Life. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and the Wharton Leadership Program. My guest today is Jay Moldenhauer Salazar. He's the Chief People Officer for Minted.com. We've been talking about his career, uh, the work he's been doing, especially recently at Minted.com and the challenges that uh, firm is facing and the opportunities uh, in our new world order, uh, particularly with respect to uh, the demography of the workforce and uh, the social and political and cultural context in which uh, the private sector has really been upended in some important ways um, in, in this past year. Um, so, Jay, um, let's, let's continue on um, the theme we were, we were addressing here with respect to what is indeed changing and how you're the employee value proposition you were suggesting at Minted. Um, is is becoming in some ways, uh, I guess, more of an asset to you, given what you described as uh, the the mix of of people with respect to race and gender. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Uh, I I would like to think that our value proposition has always been a strength of ours. Again, being a design focus, you know, minted sort of straddles being a aesthetic art design company and a tech company. And so I'd I'd like to think we have the advantage of, of um, having a place to work. You had mentioned that I'm in charge of facilities, which doesn't mean much these days, but the, um, the physical space of minted is one of our um, uh, most amazing assets. It, It is, it is beautiful. It, it is a it is the most beautiful, tranquil, uh, elevated place to work that I have ever I have ever been, which is all Miriam. She you know she she has a quite a design eye, and um, so I'd like to think that we always had a pretty good value proposition, but I do think it's shifting, and I think that we will be able to, uh, at least aspirationally pick up on um, the shifting consciousness and demographics in the country to really uh, be meaning, you know, attract a very meaningful uh, Mm -hmm. reason why people would want to come, come be at Minted um, and sort of either start their career there or continue their career there. Mm -hmm. Well, I could see why it would. Um, And in, in the, in the wake of the layoffs that you described that uh, you and your colleagues had to, undertake is is there any follow-on with those folks uh who you had to let go yeah we um we offered a pretty generous severance and continuation of benefits for folks and then we extended our unemployment uh, help to those folks we we were in touch with them for as an hr team for months after after the layoffs just to make sure that people felt like they were supported through this, through this time. And I think 
something I did for the people on my own team who I let go is I, I just sort of put a, a stake in the ground. I was going to make sure that, you know, come hell or high water, I was going to get every one of those people a job. Uh, and I, I think a lot of other leaders at Minted had a very similar uh, orientation. So I am happy to report that 100% of the people who we had to lay off from the people team are now fully employed elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And I was a reference for, I think, every one of them. Uh, and maybe not everyone, but, but close to everyone. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I've stayed in touch with those folks and let them know that I'm still cheerleading for them, you know, in the, in the future. And as a result of that, uh, we, as we've recovered from a revenue standpoint and set our sights on, uh, 2021, we are rehiring, you know, a decent number of those people who we oh, had, to, had to let go. So, uh, I, you know, I would like to think that this was a moment that strengthened people's, uh, belief in minted, whether you were an, uh, you know, one of the quote unquote survivors who weren't, weren't affected mm -hmm. by the layoffs or who were affected. I think that people sort of got a glimpse into our real heart through this, uh, through the process of our layoffs and how we handled it and what we did afterwards. And I, I would like to think that's going to reap benefits mm -hmm. down the, down the road. All right. Well, uh, I hope you'll keep us posted in the days ahead about, about your progress there. I, I'd like to turn back to what you've learned. You've been involved in so many important uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. As you reflect on what you've, what you've done so far, what would you offer listeners as uh, maybe the one or two most important principles that, that one needs to keep in mind as one enters that arena? Uh, let's see. I think change, um, change at a company. Uh, it's two things I'd say. Uh, one is that change at a company needs to be both top down and bottoms up. Um, and it's really, really important that the CEO or a vast majority of the leadership team or both believe that embracing diversity, equity, and inclusion is important. Um, and if they don't, if they fundamentally don't see it as a priority, I think it's very difficult to yeah. make a lot of meaningful change. At the same time, groups of organized people who value these things um, can make a tremendous difference and make it a priority for those executives. And so I, I really think the kind of grassroots mobilizing that employee resource groups uh, represent and the um, uh, needs to be coupled with the top-down uh, change. But if you're an HR person, you have to get that top-down buy-in. Like you, you really, really do need to have not just a theoretical commitment or it's like a good thing to do. People have to believe it's really important for the business to move forward. And, and uh, what's, the, what's the fundamental means by which one makes that case? Depends on the industry and the company, but most, I mean, look, the research is very clear that heterogeneous, diverse teams outperform homogeneous teams on creative, complex uh, problem solving. And most of what private sector companies have to do is, uh, you know, difficult, hard to solve long-term problem solving. So it's just, it's hard to argue that you're not stronger as an organization if you embrace diversity just from a pure, pure demographic standpoint. But also, uh, I think we are heading into a place, and this is what I got so excited about in 2020, is I think yeah. we're heading to a place where you will actually be at a competitive disadvantage mm -hmm. by not embracing these things from a talent standpoint. You, there are going to be people whose are marinating in the social consciousness of today, and they are going to um, refuse to work at a company that that they don't think aligns to their to their values. And I think that's, that's already happening. I right. talk a lot about that on this show and have for years. But please continue. That that's yeah. that's a clear trend. Clear trend, and I think uh, is becoming more and more apparent. And you know these, um, and uh, you know this is a broad brushstroke gross generalization, but these primarily white male older board of directors investors ceo populations are going to change and they are going to um, recognize these these demographic shifts of this younger workforce that is demanding these things um, faster than than even that so uh, so that's mm -hmm. one thing i think is just really um really important to to factor in 
And, um, you know, the, the other thing I'd say is I, uh, I really would like to believe that we are at a place where we can get past talking about diversity as a, so one of the things that always seems like a barrier when you start these conversations in organizations is, is you'll have some, you know, generally very privileged, uh, uh, leader say, yeah, but, you know, why are we going to prioritize gender or why are we going to prioritize uh, um, ethnicity? Because isn't diversity of thought important? And isn't it important to have, you know, all of these, isn't it important to have people who went to public schools and private schools? And like, they get very abstract and theoretical very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to think that we're at a place now where people start to recognize, like, you must pick a beachhead for, for these conversations. Usually it's gender because um, again, I, I've been a, in tech and retail a lot and, and gender tends to be the, the, the thing that you talk about uh, that's very obvious. It's, mm-hmm. very, it's very clearly um, uh, something where you can measure you know, uh, the, the impact in, mm-hmm. in organizations. But whatever you do around gender is going to matter to the LGBTQ population in your organization. It's going to matter to the veterans in your population. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if one of those other issues is more front and center, pick that one and go forward. You know, like I, I really, you really I, have to be attuned to your, to your workforce and what the issues are and, and be listening and, and creating forms for people to be giving voice to what their concerns are rooted in their demography uh, to be able to be responsive to whatever right. is local. You're right. That's right. And, and, and what I'd say is, and I don't think I made this point as clearly as I uh, will try now is pick an anchor point mm-hmm. rather than trying to solve all of the issues of diversity, equity, inclusion at once, and try not to, you know, kind of basically have every issue bombard you at once, figure out, be attuned to what that one issue is for your organization uh, whatever, or whatever the leading issue mm-hmm. is and just go forward on and that. Let on me that. remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I'm so delighted to be speaking today with Jay Moldenhauer Salazar, the Chief People Officer for Minted.com. So you were at Riot Games prior to Minted.com, and that's an industry uh, that is notorious for its, um, you know, for the difficulties that women have in it. Yes. In uh, fact, Riot just... was a, the showcase of a pretty large and descriptive expose on uh, the culture for women in the video games industry. So yes, uh, that is true. Yes. So how is that world sh- like shifting? What did you learn from your experience there? And not just within the, you know, the company and within the, the you know, the design and, and production uh, side of uh, of that world, but also just the you know the culture of gaming uh, tends to be, uh, from what I understand, I'm not I'm not a, a, a regular you know player. I don't I don't really understand it that well. But I've heard uh, <laughs> that it's uh, there's a lot of misogyny and a lot of just you know difficulties for women and people who are well just not white male succeeding in that world. What did you learn from that experience? And yeah, it, you know, so it, uh, my time at Riot was, a, and in that industry was really complex because as we described in one case, it felt like my people, like I was coming home to my tribe, like here's a bunch of people who grew up as gamers like I did. And I felt like suddenly I was part of the fabric of the place in a way that I hadn't, you know, in Starbucks and Gap Inc. and all these other places, I, I felt like I was resonant with the sure. with the population. And at the same time, those you're, issues that you're gamer nerd bros that's exactly but at the same time there were very very clear uh issues around particularly uh-huh. gender I, I would say you know again in the spirit of pick your issue and focus on that one i would say gender is the is the one in the video games industry or gaming in general sure. that really needs the most attention um and uh and i really the the founders and leadership team of Riot, big-hearted, values-focused people, but there are some blind spots in that industry that are really, um, really apparent, and I think starting to get broken down. I, I think the uh, Me Too, the stuff that happened at Google and Uber, and just like the the wave of headlines that tech and entertainment 
we're getting over the course of, I don't know, the last five, six years, uh, gaming is an, is an effect, an intersection between tech and entertainment. So both, yeah. both of those splash onto, onto video games. And it's a really, really important topic for those. And, and if you look at Riot, um, mm-hmm. they have hired a chief diversity officer. They have uh, and elevated that role to, directly to the CEO. Mm-hmm. They have, um, and the work that they're doing is slow, uh, hard, and has a very long tail to it. But they're, they've really embraced it. They're doing what they can to be a leader in that industry, which has a long way to go as an industry. I, I 100% agree. Well, let's let's turn back to uh, minted in this uh, last few minutes that we've got here. Uh, what what as chief people officer are you most excited about in terms of what what's coming in the days, weeks, and months ahead for minted? Uh, you know, I it's funny the the pandemic hit. It felt like a like the Indiana Jones wall falling, and we all kind of tried to grab our hat and pull it under before the thing uh, crushed us. But it felt very sudden and uh, and wide sweeping. I think the recovery, given how how um, uh, how much. I think I think the uneven nature of how we're going to do vaccination across the country and ha- people's own comfort with when they're willing to do certain social things has already been very diverse across the across the states. But it's, I think that's going to continue to be really uh, a, a moving target. So I actually can't picture what it's going to be like. Uh, like, what is the day where I'm going to be like, yep, it's time to get everybody back in the office. I can't quite picture it. But in my mind's eye, in my fantasy, I have an idea that we have like a reopening of our offices and that that reopening is an opportunity to re-engage our employees and essentially re-recruit them. So we've all been two-dimensional video, you know, trying to stay connected. We've done all these things to try to stay connected. Um, we'll find out how well that worked when we all get back together again. But, but I have this belief that um, we will have a lot of hoopla around when we are able to be together in person as an organization. And when we do that, it will be an opportunity to remind people about our values, what we care about, and, um, mm-hmm. and why this is a place that they want to stay. Because I think 2021 is going to be a mass migration year for people moving companies. I think a lot of people who would have left their companies have stayed just because it's too scary to think about doing a job search online and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and do onboarding online and all that stuff. And so I think it is incumbent on us to, to remind people why Minted is great and why they should stay. And I'm excited for that. But again, I can't picture it. Like I, I really, I hope it's the big hoopla, you know, grand opening of our offices again, but I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go. What, what leads you to uh, predict uh, great migration across company boundaries in the labor market? I, I think, again, I, I think people have been um, reluctant to interview or to move. I will just say our, our own uh, attrition uh, voluntary attrition has plummeted in since we since right. the pandemic hit, and I think in talking to my peers, um, the people are staying because people they're are staying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think once the fear dies down, mm. people will there will in the same way that I'm you know everyone's going to go on vacation when people allow <laughs> Americans to do that <laughs> to cross their borders. Mm-hmm. I think. I, I think people are going to have this pent up need. Oh, and the other thing is they've been sitting reflecting on their lives. I think mm-hmm. this has put in stark relief a lot of people about what their fundamental values are, what their priorities are. And people who don't want to go back into an office but stay remote will make a career to people who've been doing gigs on the side, you know, yeah. to help to help keep their, their income afloat will start to turn those into real businesses. There will be a lot of sadly real estate available because a lot of small businesses have gone out, gone under and there will, something will fill that void. And so I just think it's going to be this really interesting Hmm. time of people shifting their either employment or careers. And again, if you are a company that wants to, who thinks your workforce is talented and you want to retain them, I think you better be thinking about how do you make sure that, um, that doesn't hit you in the same way that it hits a lot of other people and that people want to stay with you. Um, mm-hmm. so, it's hard to tell how much of it is right now uh, uh, real. How much is it real retention versus how much of it is just born out of fear? 
And what about for you personally? What does that mean in terms of how you think about your future? What, what's what's going to keep you uh, engaged at Minted in the in the days ahead? Well, I never thought I would have to deal with this stuff that I had to deal with in in uh, 2020. It was a you know, uh, not that I have learned everything there is about HR and feel like I was on the uh, you know, kind of in the kick my feet up part of my career, but uh-huh. holy cow, I had to become a closet epidemiologist. I had to learn all of these things that I didn't know. Um, I think th- as long as I feel like I'm learning and as long as I feel like my values are aligned with the, with uh, Miriam and the company's values, I'm going to continue to be excited about where we're headed as a company. Um, I think it was really meaningful to be with Minted through this contraction and then regrowth time. Um, it is it is not what I expected. It is not what I thought I joined in 2019, but it has been uh, personally meaningful to have gone through this journey with Minted. And I'm, um, I'm hopeful, you know, that, uh, that we'll get back into those um, tech, those fun tech growth conversations that we mm-hmm. were having in 2019. I think it'll- so in just a couple of minutes we have left, what are you, what are you most proud of in what you've been able to be a part of and to help to achieve uh, in your days at Mint so far? I think the single, it's a weird thing, uh, but I, I think we've already talked about it and it's probably why I pushed the conversation in that direction is I think how we handled our layoffs was mm-hmm. a really important time for minted culturally uh, and kind of the soul of the place got bared. And I felt like uh, uh, I was an important part of that Mm -hmm. decision-making body to get us there. I I think, Mm -hmm. I think the way we did that was really important. Um, Let me turn to uh, in, in your own life, what is it that you do uh, to to try to create harmony among the different roles that you play. Uh, we've talked a little bit about that in terms of your gaming life, but in the other parts of your life, like with your family, your work, how do you make it all fit? Yeah, I, I know it's part of your, uh, the name your podcast uh, title. Uh-huh. I, I really value my family time. Um, I, part of why I left Riot was not, the DEI stuff, it, uh, it was that I was commuting to LA for four years and I I just, I, I couldn't handle the separation anxiety of mm-hmm. being away from my family. So in some respects, coming to Minted and doubling down on the Bay Area was about um, my kids being, you know, uh, uh, freshmen in college now and a freshman in high schools mm-hmm. uh, and needing to focus on them. My my lifelong life partner who I met at university of Michigan. Um, we've been married for 25 years and I just, uh, she is, you know, the most important person in my, in my life and, uh, really grounding myself in, you know, being able to go to my daughter's soccer games and being able to read my son's screenplays and being able to um, garden with my wife and take hikes in the Redwood regional park and all of that stuff. I just, I'm, I still feel very much like a work in progress. I, I really, um, I know all the right things to do as it relates to meditation and diet and sleep and everything. And I still feel like I'm constantly striving to, uh, <laughs> to, to be someone I admire uh, along all of those dimensions, but, um, we all are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although I, we said it off air, but, uh, you're, you're looking, you're looking pretty th- good there. You, you know, Jay, I'm someone- blushing. Stop. You you, uh, uh, you finished your program. How many years ahead of me? You look you look like uh, a young spry. Well, I, uh, I have I'm blessed with good genes, and I also have uh, you know a commitment to trying to stay healthy and take care of myself <laughs> so that I can continue to be a person, <laughs> strive to be a person who is uh, you know of of some worth and value in this world. Uh, well, so as you, I, I I think. Uh, we are really at the end. If you could give 30 seconds on uh, what are you hoping for your kids? Uh, you know, the hardest, we have very uh, blessed in that we are, ha- none of our health and safety has been directly affected by, mm-hmm. by the pandemic. But I will say the hardest part of the, of 2020 for me was watching my kids get disappointed over and over and over again. They, mm-hmm didn't get, they, they graduated online. They, their summers, uh, you know, all of our travel plans to celebrate their graduations were canceled. They didn't get a chance to start their new schools. 
mm. in person, but had to do it online. They are trapped socially. Like my daughter started a freshman in high school. She's trapped with her middle school friends. My son mm. started uh, college uh, online. He's trapped with his high school friends. They, they are, they feel frozen in amber from a social development. And I desperately want for them to, yeah. uh, to have some social uh, connection and some be- belief that they are starting to blossom, you know, in all the ways that feel held back right now by this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, Jay, uh, for sure. I, I, I share that frustration and uh, need to bring us to a close here. Jay Moldenhauer Salazar, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, uh, sharing your, your history, your stories and your insight. Where is the best place for listeners to learn more about you and and uh, what you're doing at Minted? Uh, you know, I I'm not as active on social media as maybe I should be. You can find me on Twitter at at Magic JMS. You the the that handle will matter uh, will make, make some sense now. Uh-huh. Um, expect me to be much less focused on HR and much more focused on games on my Twitter and social media stuff. But um, if you, if you want to drop me a line, that's probably a good place to do it. I only have an Instagram account so I can spy on my kids. It's uh, it's really Twitter is probably the best way to do it. (laughs) And minted. Uh, Minted. uh, You can get me at, I have a very long uh, email address, but uh, J A Y dot M as in Mary Salazar at minted.com. And uh, I'd be happy to have anyone uh, field questions. Jay, thank you again. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you today. So nice to reconnect Stu and thanks for having me on. It was great. And thank you all uh, for listening. Thank you for joining us in this, uh, in this conversation. Don't forget to tune in next week. 5 p.m. Eastern. Uh, if you have any questions about what you've heard on the show, just write to me, Friedman at Wharton.upen.edu, or find me on LinkedIn. I'm there and you can connect and we can chat there, or you can write to our station at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. You can also follow on SXM Business. I am at Stu Friedman. And again, if you want to find free versions of this show, Uh, A little while after they post online, you can go to totalleadership.org and find out more stuff there. Thanks, Patty Hall, for making it all happen. And thank you again for listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.